Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Victory Monday on Football and Random Things. What's up, Jeff Woody? Does it change the the name of Victory Monday when it's a thorough ass kicking Monday? Yeah, that's what that was going to be the first thing I was just going to say. What we witnessed on Saturday at Jack Trice Stadium can only be described as a complete and thorough ass whooping. Old-fashioned ass whooping right there. The, I think there were multiple cans of whoop ass that were opened on Saturday. But I think it was also a little bit of a perfect storm um, that Iowa State played really well, which is – that is not new. Like, Iowa State playing well outside of uh, the first half of Baylor. They've been playing pretty well for the back half of, the, like, the, the, the most recent series of games is Oklahoma State – first half of Baylor, all the rest of the season, you can say, oh, yeah, they played pretty well. Um, it's the fact that they didn't have any lapses throughout the game. Like I kept wanting or not wanting, like kept thinking like the normal flow of like the normal flow of, uh, of a football game is that there, there are some things that are going to go against you. And you kind of just have to expect that things are going to go against you. Like know that adversity is coming at some point, somewhere, and you're going to have to respond to it. And I don't know if I saw any adversity at all outside of the one time Kansas State got into the red zone and the Iowa State forced that, um, that fourth down stop inside the five. I don't think there was another I don't think I don't think Iowa State felt threatened at any any point throughout the remainder of the game. And that was what was shocking is that there were there wasn't a there was no pushback, you know, like there was in, if this was a UFC fight or something or a boxing match, like in the, in the first round, um, Iowa state landed a solid punch against whoever their fighter was and, or against Kansas state. And they kind of got knocked wobbly on their heels, but heels, but they were still standing. And you kind of expected like that every once in a while, they'd come back and throw a big punch. And then Iowa state punched them and they fell down and then they got back up and Iowa state punched them and they fell down again. And they got back up and Iowa state punched them. They finally just stayed down. Like there wasn't any point where there is a counterattack. It was just like, get, beat down, stand back up to try and do something again and get beat down and try and do something and get beat down. And it was, it was, that was what was surprising. So like I said, there's a perfect storm and we'll get to that throughout the, the rest of the, you know, the first part of it, but man, that was, that was fun and relaxing to watch. Uh, Kansas state was basically Apollo Creed and Iowa state was basically uh, the Russian. Ivan Drago. Yeah. Ivan Drago in, uh, what is that? The beginning of Rocky three or four Rocky four. Yeah. Uh, and they just, yeah. Complete and utter dominance. And the one time that Kansas state did get inside the five yard line on their first drive, uh, Kansas state then got Courtney Messingham, um, with the, with an, with the half bag dive up the middle, uh, an incomplete pass and then back to back QB zone reads for loss of yards to, to end the drive. Hey man, he co- coach mess is a good dude. I'm not, I'm not going to, I will not sh- trash talk, uh, Courtney Messingham. I will not trash talk. He's a, he's too nice of a human. Well, I'm not trash talking him. I'm just saying that that's what happened. I mean, I, I wanted to tweet, like, I almost tweeted out. I was like that sequence near the goal line felt all too familiar. Uh, it hasn't been long enough for us to have to sit and <laughs> to see that again. But uh, no, man, I mean, it was just, it was a great performance. Obviously a lot of really great individual performances, I think from Iowa state, 
Um, I think the first one that we really need to, you know, if we're going to give our game balls, uh, like we've done previously, uh, I think that the, the first one that, that comes to mind for me, uh, on the offensive side of the ball is Brock Purdy 16 of 20 for, uh, what was it? I got the stats here, 16 of 20 for 236 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, he he looked as dialed in as I think we've seen all season. It, It seems like in these last, he didn't really play in the fourth quarter, but in the last, you know, game and a half Brock has been playing his best football of the year. I think the throw that he made to Joe skates was one of the better throws that he's made all season. And then I would say that the throw that he made to Xavier Hutchinson um, in the corner of the the North end zone mm-hmm. probably was the best throw that he's made uh, in the whole year. In my well, mind. I think I, I'd top you. I think the one that he made the, the t- so all three touchdown passes were beautiful throws. I think the one that he threw to Charlie had the highest degree of difficulty um, because his margin for error was very small in that one. It was, it was a relatively well contested ball, but Charlie essentially put himself in a box out position where like the defender is on his back. It's a tight coverage, but he's got super long arms. The defender doesn't have long enough arms to overtake that. And Brock had to put that at a full arms length in front of where Charlie was going to end up. And then he could catch touchdown. It was the, it was a very tightly placed ball. Um, and what was kind of nice is Brees ended up with what, 140 or 135 yards and like that and two touchdowns. And yeah, it kind of felt yards, two touchdowns. And you kind of felt like, has Brees really played that much? Oh yeah, he's got hundred yards in the first half. Like it, it didn't you, you never really felt like it needed to just be a running offense. And I think so game ball number one is to Brock hundred percent. I think Brees always gets a game ball. Um, the other offensive game ball is as a position unit to the wide receivers. They, the, the wide receiver unit finally produced like big 12 wide receivers with anyone other than Xavier Hutchinson, like Xavier Hutchinson. He played like a star on Saturday, which is where I think <clears throat> if you're going to beat Texas, if you're going to beat Oklahoma, you need to have a star that can play at the wide receiver position to draw people out of the box. And what Iowa State did by having Xavier Hudson Xavier Hudson catch touchdown and go for 100 yards, um, having Joe Skates catch a touchdown, and uh, I think he caught one other pass later uh, to have Charlie Kolar catch a touchdown pass, have Dylan Sainer get I think four receptions, like to have the offense be spread out and not just catch tackle type type plays where, you know, Brock has to throw it into some crazy window and it gets down. They were designing plays and executing plays with all 11 positions playing really high level football. And Brock was able to just be a distributor, which is where he is at his best when he is able to be, um, you know, and I've, I've said this parallel before, which is the Browns and the Iowa state cyclones when they're at their best is it's the same kind of thing. Like, the Browns have land or, uh, uh, Jarvis Landry and they have, um, you know, these Odell Beckham before he got injured, these big wide receivers, but their offense is predicated on Nick Chubb and a good offensive line going down the field. And Baker Mayfield is, I, I still think he's the closest correlate to Brock Purdy wants to be a gunslinger, wants to be a playmaker, but at his best, he's 16 for 20 with three touchdowns. Like that is where the best football is played when he can just be a distributor and get the ball to Jarvis. Landry skates that kind of just get it to people and let them make plays. Um, 
so the wide receiver group finally produced and that was the biggest the biggest question mark for the for the entire season so far is that the wide receivers if you took away the eights you know if you took away char 28 88 and number eight if you took away the eights iowa state can't move the ball well the first possession that proved to be not true because Joe Skates got a touchdown and Dylan Sainer had a big conversion. Like they were able to move away from their primary options, which was really, really reassuring going into what is arguably, I mean, we say this every, it seems like every Matt Campbell team has one of these games, but this is the most important game of the season uh, this Friday. And they're, if they're clicking on all cylinders at the wide receiver position and with Brock being able to be a distributor, it's really difficult to stop. Lolo is barking in her sleep. Uh, oh, um, but yeah, man, I think that this is the game where you saw Xavier Hutchinson play at the level that we expected of him coming out of junior college, where it was like, he's made the flash he's made flashes or has had flashes of being that guy that we, you know, the number one receiver type guy, uh, just a, a, a game-breaking playmaker. And this was the one where you really saw him do it from the beginning of the game. I mean, he had the really nice catch and run, I think on a third down uh, on, the, on the first drive where he – And shouts – I'm going to time out. Jirel Brock. Yep. Shouts to Jirel Brock, yeah. who finally got run. Uh, and man after my own heart – is you got a guy that's more talented than you or, or a better runner than you. Again, arguably, we'll see. Time will tell, but Brees Hall's pretty darn good. You got a guy that's better runner than you, and you got a guy that's faster than you with Kanae Wangu. So your only shot to be in the game is be the best blocker in the, in the backfield. And you become the best blocker in the backfield, they'll find a place for you. Any third and long situation that they weren't going to give the ball to 28, 21 is in the game. He got him. He has worked himself into the rotation. So shouts to, to Jairo Brock. Now continue on Xavier Hutchinson. Yeah, no, I mean, that was, that was the end of it. But Jairo with three catches for 26 yards. Uh, he did get, what did he get? Nine carries for 25 yards. Uh, they're kind of late in the game. But, um, I mean, I, I think you look at any of those guys. Sean Shaw had his best game of the season. Joe Skates had his best game of the season. Man, and shout out to Aiden Bitter. Came in and caught, one of, caught a pass from Hunter Deckers late in the game. I mean, mm -hmm. that receiving room is – they're so young and inexperienced. I don't even know if inexperienced is the right word. I mean, obviously those guys have played quite a few snaps at this point. But, like, there's just – they just have not been in the scenarios that they're in now. But you're seeing them, I think, get more comfortable in those situations. Sean Shaw has – there was a couple weeks ago where we really kind of challenged Sean Shaw that it's like we got to see something from this kid. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that he stepped up over the last several weeks to be more of a uh, more of a threat than what he was earlier in the year. And, um, I mean, I, I think that this group has – this offense, you know, at times you've seen them click in bits and pieces. And it's like these guys will be clicking, but these guys aren't at times but right now it feels like the entire unit is really starting to come together and, and play in a way that uh really complements um what the team can do i mean I, I thought that you saw that really on on their first couple drives where i mean it when the when the snap went off it was like all 11 guys on defense were looking at one person that was 28 mm -hmm. it's like where's 28 going that's the only yeah, guy I that we they, care about like eight dudes in the box and one close Right. First and, drive. Yeah. It's like, we're going to, we are going to make anybody on the field beat us besides 28. 
And um, you saw Brock be able to to do some really nice things with his legs where he was really running pretty well. I think he – what he end up with? Uh, seven carries for 59 yards. Um, had a couple of nice about 20-yard runs. Uh, but then what they were able to do in the passing game, like it was just it, – it was Iowa State saying like, okay, you think that you want to take away 28? Well, we still got some pretty dang good guys around him mm-hmm. as well. And we're going to take advantage of what you're doing right now. Well, that's a really good um... – it was if you were to take the second half of Baylor as the first half of an air quotes game, and then the first half of Kansas State as the second half of that air quotes game. So your game is halftime of Baylor to halftime of Kansas State. Iowa State wins that game 66 to 10. In the past four quarters up to halftime, Iowa State had won against their opponents 66 to 10, which is a thorough drubbing of anyone, no matter who you're talking about. And the only points that were given up are the only touchdown given up was on a, uh, uh, where Lawrence white slipped mm-hmm. in a cover zero protection on uh, running back out of the backfield. Otherwise the defense had complimented the offense and the offense had complimented the defense. It was, it is as well-rounded as it can, which is kind of fun. Um, not kind of fun, very fun to see, championship teams need to make not necessarily statements in the sense that like, look at me, I should be in the national title game. But if you're going to be, if you're going to win a, if you're going to win a conference championship, you're going to win championships, plural, any, any singular championship, regardless of anywhere, you're not going to be able to back your way into it. You're not going to be able to, to stumble your way in to a, a, a title, especially in a round robin format, like the big 12. So if you're going to go into, if you're going to get to the level where coach Campbell wants it, where all the Iowa state fans want it, where the players expect it to be, which is a championship program, you're going to have to win games at the end of the season. And if you are better than a team, don't hang around. Like don't, don't let it become a thing where you have to scrape or scrap to get, you know, a six point win against the seventh place team in the conference. And that's not to say the Kansas state's seventh place team. And they were very injury riddled and COVID uh, prescription or uh, COVID restrictions, very riddled, which that put Kansas state at a disadvantage. And Iowa state did exactly what you need to do against a team that is disadvantaged which parallels are Oklahoma state. They're without a healthy Chuba Hubbard. They're without about six of their offensive linemen. And they're without Spencer Sanders for the majority of that Oklahoma for that bedlam game. And Oklahoma said, get off the field. You're not as good as we are. Iowa state was playing Kansas state, which is in a similar position, literally record wise, identical uh, going in and said, get off the field. You don't deserve to be on the field with us. We're at, we have championship aspirations. And that statement of a team in the end of November or the middle to end of November going into a huge game says that Iowa state is, if not, I don't want to say there, because in order to be there as a conference champion, you actually have to win a conference championship, but they are every bit deserving of this position as any team in the conference, because they're able to take situations like this and play complete football in November and just push a team out off the field that doesn't deserve to be on the field with them. This Saturday, I think this Friday is going to be different. It's not necessarily that I, it's not that I'm, I'm expecting Iowa state to play poorly, but Texas is a team that is much different in both scheme and athletes than it is to Kansas state. So you're going to need to be able to execute at a similar level, but it was good to see a team that's, you know what, just get out, go back to Manhattan, just take your loss, go back to Manhattan. We're done playing. All right. So let me ask you a question. And this is, um, 
So I was reading a thing on, I think it was Friday. I was reading a, a story about the chiefs uh, and the chiefs offense. And it more, I mean, and I think anybody who has watched the chiefs closely this year knows, you know, they don't have that quite. And I think it's almost by design. They don't quite have that same, you know, flashiness that maybe they did in the first two years with Pat Mahomes, where every week Pat Mahomes is throwing the ball deep to Tyree kill. They're doing something crazy, you know, and they're hitting on these 60 yard plays and things like that. Like they've become a lot more methodical and it's a lot more uh, sustainable, you know, from week to week. I think you probably could have seen that last week against Oakland, what they were able to do where they're going on. I think their first, the first two uh, drives are 12 and 14 plays. That's what I was going to say. I think their first drive was like 12 plays, 75 yards. It took like seven minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, when this offense that Iowa State has right now, but the, the thing I'll say, they're just as efficient. They're more efficient, the Chiefs are, than what they have been in in past seasons without maybe the same big playability or like they're not utilizing that big playability in quite the same way. What I The correlation I want to make, these – the past couple offenses that Iowa State has had under Matt Campbell with 17, 18, and 19 are so – maybe not as much 19, but specifically 17 and 18 for sure um, – have been so built on big plays, you know, Hakeem Butler doing something crazy, Alan Lazard doing something crazy, David Montgomery doing something crazy. Yeah, Deshante and, Jones. Yeah, Deshante Jones. And it's a lot less like, you know, we're going to go out and just – line up for however many plays that it takes and beat you mm-hmm. the first half on Saturday. Like when this offense is operating at a high level, that's what they do. They're like, we're going to line up and we're just going to beat you. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how many plays it takes. We're going to beat your ass over and over and over and over again. If that's what it takes, you know, mm-hmm. and obviously Brees does some things that are pretty crazy. You know, you've got some guys that have obviously made some highlight plays, but as much as anything, it's just like, we're just going to line up. We're going to do our thing. Good luck. And, um, I think that the question that I have for you, when this offense is playing at its peak, like what it was on Saturday, is this the best offense that Matt Campbell has had at Iowa State? Unquestionably, yes. Uh, unquestionably, yes. Yeah, any, any game that is uh, predicated on big plays and explosiveness is also prone to big mistakes. There is your margin for error is a lot higher, but your margin for success is a lot higher. You know, you hold your breath uh, every time – someone catches, you know, like TCU is, is kind of in that mold where you got that Spielman kid and you got that, the, the Evans kid in the backfield and Duggan can every once in a while take one and sling it down the field or Texas. When you're upcoming against Texas, that's what Texas is built on where every play, I mean, you got to hold your breath that they're going to end up, you know, chucking one down the field and one of their big ass wide receivers goes to get it. But at the same time, in order to get that, you have to have, uh, protection. You have to have someone make a great play. You have to have whatever. And as soon as any one of those elements falters, the whole thing falls apart where this one, if you know, at, at its peak, there's not one thing that need that if that, if it falters, the whole thing falls apart, mm-hmm. you know, but Brees hall running is still effective if he's not at peak position because you got Kane Nwangu who can also run the ball effectively and Jirel Brock can also run the ball effectively and Brock can also run the ball effectively and then in your receiving core the positions the, the tight end position let's say Charlie's a little bit off well you still have 11 you still have 89 you still have Sean Shaw who essentially operates as a tight end and a lot of the wide receiver front. So there's, there's a lot that you can do um, different. And so the thing that, again, the parallel Oklahoma and Iowa state, when you watch 
Oklahoma when they are good. And when you watch Iowa state, when they are good, um, Oklahoma is a little bit flashier, but it's the same methodology, which is you can't go broke taking a profit. Like that's the kind of expression that a lot of times uh, offensive coaches will use where if you get three yards, every single play, you would score a touchdown in every drive because three, 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 it's fourth and one, get three yards and three, 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 it's fourth and one, get three yards. And granted you're, you don't want to just live on fourth and ones, but you can't go broke taking a profit where if every play is profitable, then you're going to end up moving your way down the field. So your, what your plays are going to bottom out as are three yard plays. Anything more than that is cake, but you're going to play your plays are going to bottom out at three yards. So they're always just in a position that almost seems I'm going to make two kind of metaphors to this or, or analogies, which is sort of Frankenstein-y where part of the fear of Frankenstein, when you, which the book is different than the movie, if you ever read the book, but in the movie, that kind of lumbering, it's coming towards you. Michael Myers from Halloween, it's coming towards you. And there's nothing you monster. can do. That's Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster. Sorry, not Dr. Frankenstein I, for whatever. It's the, the fear of that Michael Myers, Frank, Frankenstein's monster thing that's lumbering towards you is that there's not anything you can do to stop it. It's not coming at you quickly. It's just the fear of it is what makes it the fear of it coming and there's nothing you can do against it. That's the, that's the problem. Uh, the other thing is what makes I'm kind of a, you know, Mike Marvel comic book nerds thing. Like one of the things that makes the villain of Thanos so compelling is the inevitability of it that there there's not really anything one that you can do. It has to be a full fledged unstoppable element to it in order to come to come across Oklahoma and Iowa state when they are at their peak this season so far are the only two teams that have had that inevitability feeling that it doesn't matter what you do. You can try everything you want and you can sell out and put eight in the box or nine in the box against 28. All right, we're going to throw it out out of the throw a dig route to number eight and he's going to take it for 18 and then we're going to jet tempo you and keep those same guys in the field and we're going to throw it over the top to 89 and then we're going to keep the same guys in the field and we're going to throw it over the top touchdown joe skates how's that eight in the box feel hey okay let's let's pull a little let's pull some guys out of the boxes we we can't you know we can't keep putting our corners in positions to try and match up with these tight ends all right, there's only seven in the box now. 28 goes down the field, scores a 30-yard touchdown. Like, there's just an, an inevitability to it that Oklahoma and Iowa State are really the only ones that have possessed that so far this season. And before we switch it over to the, the defense, you know, we didn't shout out Brees Hall too much there just because we've talked about Brees so much already. But that his first touchdown run on Saturday, the 33-yarder where he went down the sidelines – Dirty. That that's as good a touchdown. That's as good as running you're going to see in college football this year. I mean, Dirty. the kid is is just on a completely different level, and his man, his awareness of the field is just yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> he, there's something that he does every week that you're like, this kid is just different. Like I, mm -hmm. it's not even fair. He's baby Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Like when wh I was watching the the Chiefs Raiders uh, Monday night or, or Sunday night, and. um they, when you watch Le'Veon Bell, it, they're almost built similarly too. It's just, you know, they're, when they're so patient and they're so just, you know, setting up blocks and understanding where things need to go and whatever, but they also are, they're, they're built the same way with like longer legs. They don't necessarily look, you know, you look at uh, Clyde Edge's lair and you're like, you have to, I, I'm going to have to get one inch off the ground to take you down because you're built like a tank. 
but you watch Le'Veon Bell and you kind of, he kind of looks, I mean, yes, he's, he is a muscular person, but kind of looks more or less proportioned like a track runner, not necessarily like a football player. So defensive players will underestimate how much power is going to come into the, like into contact with them and will almost always get knocked backwards because they underestimate how much power is coming with how much speed is coming because they're long striders and they're, they're skinnier than what you would see out of, you know, your, your David Montgomery. You look at David Montgomery, you're expecting to get hit hard. You look at Brees Hall, you're not expecting to get thumped. All of a sudden you do. So it's just the, the parallels between Brees and Le'Veon Bell are, are very, it's almost eerie with how similar they are when you watch them play. For sure. All right. Um, let's flip it over to the defense. Uh, I, a dominant performance. You know, mm-hmm. you give up 62 yards on the first drive of the game, get the stop inside the five-yard line. And then Kansas State, I think, gained 27 yards on their next 13 plays. Uh, they they punted three times. Mike Rose got his fourth interception of the year, which leads the Big 12. And then the other time they ended the, ended the first half. I mean, you look at the numbers – Kansas State finished with 73 yards rushing and 76 yards passing. I, I the, and, and I know that Kansas State didn't come into the game statistically very good, but that's worse than like Iowa State beat up Kansas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean that that unit was flying around. They you could tell that they were jacked up. They got a lot of confidence from getting that first stop inside the five yard line, and then you're just kind of. And then once you got K- Kansas State behind, you force them into positions where they've got to throw the ball a little bit more than what they maybe would uh, would want to normally. And um, and if you're in a position where you got to throw the ball a little bit more than you would want to normally, well. Good luck because number three's coming, number nine's coming, number fifty-eight's coming, number fifty-six is coming. Like you're you're going to be in trouble at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and this was just a tour de force. I felt like for for the Iowa State defense. Well, how good is Mike Rose? Yeah, I mean, I don't. Is is I haven't looked necessarily. If he's not on a fair number of year-end watch lists, that's kind of a disservice oh, to he how is. well. Yeah, he is. I don't know what all he's on, but I know that he's on a lot of them which is absolutely deserved because I mean, he had what a sack two TFLs and a interception with like seven tackles, like on the, on the game, I think seven tackles, one sack, two and a half tackles for loss an interception and a quarterback hurry. That's that is unbelievable how diverse that skill set is. And a lot of times, um, you know, it's, it's hard to pick out one guy on this defense all the time. Like I, I think my, at this, at this point through the season, uh, Rose has been the recipient of the most pu- kind of praise, like the most statistical uh, adulation. But it, it's not just him. Like that, right. pl- those plays don't exist with him being able to be in a position to make interceptions. If you're not getting pressure on the quarterback and speeding up his thought process to allow a linebacker to slip underneath a zone coverage, or you're not able to have him get as many tackles or tackles for loss. If you're not holding the edge with a safety or a corner to make that person turn back to, uh, to allow a linebacker to run underneath and catch or, and make a TFL or get a sack, you're not able to get one-on-one pass opportunity, pass rush opportunities with a linebacker on a running back. If the rest of the defensive line isn't, uh, holding their own and you're not able to get enough time to get a sack at the secondary, isn't going to do it. So this defense is playing together and it is, it's a, it is a, a, it is very encouraging, especially with the def, with the offenses that you are going to see with 
likely if so your Iowa state's playing Texas for sure on Friday and for sure they're playing West Virginia, uh, the following Saturday, if they win those two games, they will likely play Oklahoma in order to beat those three teams, West Virginia being the least of them, but still they're obviously they've won four out of or four out of seven. They're in the top half of the conference. They're a good team in order to beat those teams. You're going to have to play that solid high level defense which is different than anyone else in the conference plays. And when you play something as well as it can be played, and it's also different, how do you, I don't know how you prepare for that. Even if Oklahoma's seen it before, I don't know how you prepare for that just because it is so uh, consistently good. Yeah. And it just, let me ask you this before we talk about the, I mean, kind of talk about the unit as a whole, but Right now, is there a better okay? Is there a better defensive player in the Big Twelve than Mike Rose? Right now, today, the only person that comes to mind is uh, the number seven from OU that kind of got in. And he only he's only played half the season. I'm saying if you're a right. voter so, for the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year, who who's your I vote? Think you have to. You it has I think to. You have him. to. Yeah. yeah. Ronnie Perkins is a great player. Don't get me wrong. He's big 12 defensive player of the week this week. He was a, a force against Oklahoma state on Saturday night uh, and has been huge for that defense since he came back from suspension a couple weeks ago. But what Mike Rose has done from the beginning to the, to this point of the season, I, I mean, I'm going to have a hard time not giving him uh, giving him that award. And on the Doesn't flip side, he the conference in interceptions and also tackle solo tackles. He was like, I think he leads in solo tackles. Yeah. I think he's third in total tackles, uh, but I'd have to look after, after Saturday. Um, but go to the other side of the ball. I mean, is there anybody that can even sniff that award besides Reese Hall? I, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, I would say conceivably could have the offensive and defensive players of the year in big 12 this year. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't think that it's in any way a stretch. Both of those guys are more than deserving of those awards, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, back that up by being the best team. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a surprise when the best offensive and defensive, you know, offensive defensive player of the year come from the conference champion. It's a surprise when that comes from the conference fourth place finisher. So finish the season and make those those awards matter and make it not a, a consolation prize, make it a cherry on top of, of what everyone really wants, what everyone on that team really wants. Cause I'm sure if you give Brees all the choice, Hey, you could win OPLY in the big 12, or you could be the, be the big 12 champion. I think he takes it 10 out of 10 big 12 champion. Absolutely. Um, all right. That that'll take us now to, uh, to Saturday uh, or not Saturday, Friday. Friday. And Iowa State's uh, game with with Texas down in Austin. I mean, I, I think that to call this the biggest game in program history probably is not a stretch. Uh, and I, you know, I'm feeling dangerous, Jeff. I feel confident. What Iowa State does, their formula travels. You know, this is not mm-hmm. something where you've got to try and catch lightning in a bottle. I don't think if Iowa State can go down there and play their game and play the way that you and I talked on Friday or talked last week on this podcast, talked on Friday when we recorded our, uh, our radio show. Um, if, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot and they play their game, I think that they will win. I, th- I think that they are better, the better team uh, between mm-hmm. Texas and, and Iowa State. 
I think so too. And, and the, this is back to a contrast of styles, but this is a contrast of styles that doesn't necessarily disadvantage Iowa state as much. So the, the contrast of style that was the greatest was that Oklahoma state, um, the, the Oklahoma state style is gambling on defense. They want big plays on offense. They don't really care so much about time of possession. And they really want to, you know, they, they want to explode that chaos model. Um, Texas wants to operate in that chaos model, but where Oklahoma state's chaos model is, is generally when everyone's healthy is centered around is their defense is able to get pressure, create havoc, uh, gamble, you know, underneath routes to try and get interceptions, just trust their corners are going to play really good man coverage. And we're going to, we're going to roll the dice and everything else. And then our offense is going to complement that defense. Uh, and that's how we're going to be successful. And when, when that formula works, you get what Oklahoma state did against Iowa state. When that formula doesn't work, you get what happens against Oklahoma where you gamble and lose a lot. Well, Texas has a similar gambling style, but they predicate it on explosion in their offense where they say, all right, and it shouldn't be the case, but they say Sam Ellinger is the best player on the field. And we just think that he is going to do something explosive to get us moving down the field. And he's going to do that more times than you can do that on your offense. But it's, and our defense is just going to be built upon the fact that we want to give the ball to Sam Ellinger as many times as we can, because he's really good. Now where that falls apart is if you're able, let's say, uh, instead of having a drive that is 40 yards and a punt, every drive is either a touchdown or an interception. If three out of four of your drives and the other team scores a touchdown on two out of five, but throws an interception, the other three out of five, you're going to come out positive on that one because the gamble isn't worth it. Texas is going to do things that are dumb, but sometimes they're going to get away with them because they have Sam Ellinger. So the way that going into this game, just like going into Oklahoma or uh, into, uh, excuse me, Texas tech, is the more chaotic it feels, the more spazzy it feels, the more, man, how do we get 13 points in three and a half minutes? The more of that that it feels, the worse off it is for Iowa State likely because they want to play within a contained tempo. And by doing that, it's that Frankenstein's monster march. It's that you are going to be forced to make bad decisions because you know that ultimately you give the ball back Iowa state one, you're not going to get back for four minutes with or without points. You're not going to get the ball back for four minutes. And two, you're probably going to be down more points than you were. You may not score on every single drive. You likely won't, but you're going to, they're going to possess the ball and they're going to move it somehow. And then on the other side, that puts you as an offense in a position that you kind of in the back of your head, know. Like we do this against uh, the feeling, granted, we got our asses handed to us. But when you're playing uh, a really good Art Riles Baylor offense, that had the same inevitability to it where you're like, man, uh, we better not punt because if we punt, then they're going to score again. And we're just going to be down by seven more points or three more points before we get the ball back. So we better get a first down here. And then a second and seven, rather than taking a five yard gain, you try and get a 13 yard gain. And now you're third and seven and you're in a worse position than you would have been if you just take the smart play. So Iowa state's defense to, to build this all back together 
Iowa State's defense is predicated on patience and being okay with like its susceptibility is you need to be okay taking four yards at a time because it's unlikely unless there's a blown coverage it's unlikely that you are going to be able to huge chunk plays all the way down the field you may get one but you're going to have to if you get to the 30 yard line you're probably not going to throw a 30 yard touchdown pass you're probably going to have to go first down first down then it's first and goal uh and it's you're on the six yard line for first and goal and you're going to score a third and goal touchdown and if that's the case You've just worked yourself really hard to get a seven-point play or to, to get a seven-point drive. Iowa State's going to take the ball, boom, take it seven and a half yards, go down. Even if it's a field goal, the quarter's over. You have, you've had one possession that you've gotten your way down there. So Texas, they're going to want to speed the game up and get more possessions. Iowa State is going to want to Frankenstein's monster, slow the game down and trudge. I think this game lends itself, like you mentioned, if Iowa State doesn't shoot itself in the foot, that Frankenstein's monster is scary to Texas because they start making worse decisions to try and make these home run plays that they've been able to connect with on the past when they shouldn't, when they don't need to, when they can't. So if Iowa State plays like they should, it plays well into Texas's style of game just because, again, they want big plays. They want to they wanna go into exactly what this defense is predicated against. But Sam Ellinger's really good. They got a lot of talent. It's in Austin. So I'm excited for, and not nervous that Iowa State's going to lose, but nervous just in kind of a nervous energy. I just want to watch this game played because I think it's going to be successful. I just want to see that it's successful. Yeah, I'm just excited, man. This is just – it. I feel like uh, there's going to be a lot of people on edge just because it's like anticipation, you know, mm-hmm. the, this is the, I don't know. This is close as close as, as we've ever been to that taste, you know, of the, of being, uh, cause uh, you know, I obviously was not around Iowa state in 2004 and 2005. And like, you could have had the opportunity to go to the big total title game, but I think everybody probably knew like, yeah, if we go to the Big 12 title game, we're going to get our asses kicked by Texas, mm-hmm. you know, or Oklahoma, I guess, one of the years. But I feel like right now I'm, I'm excited because I want them – I want that game to come, and I, I feel like they can win because it has felt like – it's, it's like with the, the Frankenstein's monster, it's like felt like an inevitability mm-hmm. for this team. With this team, the way that they have uh, – way that they've grown – the group of guys that they have and the mentality that they play with, it's felt like an inevitability that this was the one, you know, that was going to get you there. And not only are they going to get you there, but it's like, they've got an opportunity to win the whole damn thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it has me so excited is it's like, I just want to see this group get that validation so that everybody can get the validation. If it's like, Holy crap, we're going to play for the big 12 title, you know? Yeah. And, and the other thing that's kind of interesting about this is, um, a lot of times you have that kind of that hangover feeling of like, uh, we're really good. We just beat someone really badly. Uh, let's, we'll be fine going into the next game. And you have that, not necessarily, you're not looking over anybody, but I don't think I've really ever felt that other than like the middle two quarters against Kansas and the very first game against Louisiana. And when they finally pulled their head heads out of their asses against Kansas, then at no point for the rest of the game and the first half of Baylor, they just played, that was just poor. Like there was just poor playing. Um, 
but this team kind of has that cool what's next kind of feel to it you know touchdown cool what's next interception cool what's next like it doesn't matter what happens it's kind of like okay fine get out of the way we just did something whatever i my goal is not my goal is not to beat texas my goal is not to beat whatever the goal is to get a championship so cool what's next we beat kansas state great cool what's next let's we have texas let's beat texas because then cool what's next west virginia cool what's next now from a standpoint of um not to hype this thing up any farther but you know i i spent a little bit of time this morning and i text them to you this isn't necessarily a an elimination game for the big 12 championship but it's damn close to an elimination game like this is a more or less a semifinal for the big 12 title because if texas loses they're done like there's really no chance that texas can get in if, if i loses i say if if iowa state were to lose uh the only situations that allow them in a tiebreaker scenario to get back into the title game would be as if the wheels fall off of Oklahoma state to spare the tiebreakers. If the wheels fall off Oklahoma state and either Kansas state or TCU finishes fourth in the conference. Uh, now a little teaser into the, the tiebreakers is tiebreaker. Number one is if there are teams with the same record, same conference record, uh, they look at, um, the round robin record of teams that are tied. And so Iowa state having in this imaginary situation of having lost to Texas, they would have had the loss to Texas and lost to Oklahoma state. They need, and, but beaten Oklahoma, they need one of those two teams that they lost to AKA Oklahoma to fall off the face of the earth. So then they would be beaten Oklahoma lost to Texas and each team was one and one. And then the next tiebreaker after that little mini round robin of the teams that are tied, they take your record against the teams in the conference stacked from the top of the conference down. So they would say, okay, Iowa state, Oklahoma, and Texas are all two lost teams. How did each team do against the fourth place team, which in a, a beneficial scenario would be TCU. If TCU is the fourth place team because they beat Oklahoma State and whatever, then Iowa State beat TCU, Oklahoma beat TCU, Texas lost to TCU, your teams are Iowa State and Oklahoma. So this isn't necessarily an elimination game, but it is pretty damn close to an elimination game. So it's one of those things that it's not that that adds any, any pressure to the guys in the locker room. Cause they know it. Everybody knows it. Texas feels it. They felt it for a long time. They lost two, they lost two games. Every game for them is an elimination game. So it just, it adds a little bit of intrigue because uh, the importance of this game from a cultural perspective of you have wanted to be a championship team for a very long time. And coach Campbell has set this goal when he got here of we're going to be a championship team. What better team to start the final act of this championship against than one of the big boys in the conference for the past hundred years mm -hmm. is that you are, you're not going to chance, you're not beating TCU or, you know, West Virginia. who was a newcomer in the league or, or something like that to get yourself into the championship game you are taking over like metaphorically, symbolically, one of the powers of the conference. If that were to happen, the team you're going to play in the big 12 championship game, the other one, Oklahoma, if you're going to win this championship game, you're not going to back your way into it. You're going to take a sledgehammer to one burnt orange wall 
just to walk through that rubble to get to a crimson wall. And you have to take a sledgehammer through that wall to get your championship trophy. So this is, this game doesn't carry more significance for the sake of it getting you a title game because everyone knows that. It's the fact that who you're playing and where you're doing it is this is our time to go. We got to go get it. Yeah, I mean, doing this and like if Iowa State can, you know, just based on the way things look right now, look right now, if Iowa State could win the Big 12 title, it would basically – because you got – and this is the best thing for it, man. Like – Kings stay kings, you know. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma's been the king five years in a row until someone can knock him, knock the crown off. Mm-hmm. It would have felt cheap if you mm-hmm. can't do it against them. You know, obviously, I would say already beat them, but it's like whoever's going to be the one to knock them off needs to do it in Arlington. And um, the idea of Iowa State doing that is almost like I mean, I can't think of a good. I mean, it's David, David and Goliath, basically, mm-hmm. you know, if Goliath was a king, I don't know if, if Goliath was a king. I don't think that he was, but. I mean, he was just a, just a big warrior. Yeah. I think he was just a warrior, but yeah, that you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's like to, for Iowa state to be the ones that knocked them off, it would be, it would be something, something pretty crazy, but all right, man, we'll, uh, we'll talk about this more on uh, on our pregame show on Friday from 8 to 9 on uh, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. You guys can can listen to us uh, some more there. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right, bud? All right. Sounds good. I'm excited. Me too. Me too. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. Uh, go Cyclones.